Good morning, everybody. And to all the dads who are present, whether you are here in the worship center or outside under the canopy or at home worshiping with us, happy Father's Day. What a blessing. Isn't it neat to see Dave's little boy? Did you notice what he had in his hand in the first picture? A credit card. So Dave is teaching him stewardship really early, how to charge things. So uh, what a blessing. You know, they say that imitation uh, is um, the greatest form of flattery. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. If you've never heard that before, it's because you are a young person. All right. But in other words, if you imitate or if you mimic somebody, you're telling them that what they're doing is they're doing well. So you want to copy them. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Now, I have three grandsons, and they're all pretty decent athletes. Well, one of them, uh, when he was in junior high school, middle school, or begin, just before middle school, he's like fifth or sixth grader, uh, he would go to basketball practice with his sister, and I was helping coach the uh, JV squad at the, local, at the high school that she was going to. And he was there, and he got to watch the varsity team at the end of practice. And that varsity team that particular year had uh, a young man that was seven foot, one that was 6'11", and one that was 6'9". But their best player was 6'6", and he played professional basketball after he uh, graduated college. And so these boys, they would just dunk the ball, they dribbled the ball so well. It inspired my grandson. So he went home, went online, and got the workout video of Steph Curry. You know who Steph Curry is? Yeah. And so he went out and got the, uh, got the uh, workout video, and then he just would look at the video, and then he'd go outside and practice what he just saw. So he began to mimic Steph Curry. He can't shoot like Steph. But I was amazed at the improvement simply by him mimicking the workout video of Steph Curry. He got better. He imitated or tried to follow in the footsteps of Steph Curry. Now, we are, as Christians are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I think most of us know that, right? We are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now, the first part, apart from the second part, seems kind of boastful. Be imitators of me. But what he's really saying is, because I imitate or mimic Jesus. And so if you follow or mimic me, you're actually mimicking Jesus himself. So as believers, we are exhorted to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if we looked at the Word of God and, and we read about stories of great fathers? Now, the message I'm going to preach is not just the fathers, but that's going to be my major reference point. It's really for all believers. But for us dads, wouldn't it be great to go through the Scriptures and, and emulate or mimic following in the footsteps of the great dads in the Bible. One problem with that, there really aren't many great dads in the Bible. Even David, the man after God's own heart, didn't have a son or that uh, you would want to have as your son. One of David's sons tried to kill him and usurp his throne. Not, David wasn't exactly a poster boy for dad of the year. So what do we do as fathers? Well, fortunately, we as believers, and those of us who in particular who are our fathers, we do have a father we can imitate in the scriptures. Let me read you a verse out of 2 Corinthians verse 6, chapter 6. And I will be a father to you, 
and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So what God says here in Second Corinthians is that he assumes the role of a spiritual father to each one of us who are believers. Therefore, he has the attributes of a father to us. And if we fathers look at God the Father and imitate and mimic his attributes, we will be a much better earthly dad. So this Father's Day, we're going to take a look at five attributes of God the Father and see how it impacts us as fathers, but also as believers in general. Now, we are currently in a series called What We Believe, right? We already looked at the Father, the Son, and now we're looking at the Holy Spirit. Consider this message as a parenthetical pause in this series, and we're going to return to the attributes of the Father. So in some respect, it continues the series, What We Believe. So we'll be looking at the character and the traits of God the Father. First of all, God the Father is compassionate. God the Father is compassionate. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Just as a father has compassion on his kids, so is God the Father for each one of us. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and of all comfort, indicating compassion. See, compassion really is a quality of our triune God. Jesus, every time he saw, whenever he saw somebody who needed healing and he had compassion on them, what did he do? He healed them, being a man of compassion. The Holy Spirit is also known as the Comforter. Greg shared a little bit about that last week. He is the Comforter. How could you be a Comforter without compassion? Hence, the Holy Spirit has compassion. And then here we read two verses where we know God the Father has compassion. It's a character quality of our Father who is in heaven. Webster defines compassion as means sorrow, or that compassion means sorrow for the suffering or trouble of another, or others, accompanied by an urge to help. When you add in the Greek component, the original language of the New Testament, it carries the additional idea of suffering with others. So you suffer alongside people. That's what, that's what compassion is. So a compassionate father is so moved by the sufferings of his children and the condition of his children that he is compelled to come to their assistance. That's a compassionate dad. And that's how we, as fathers here on earth, are to be. Our youngest daughter, Bethany, uh, is suffering from cancer. So she's had, been having cancer treatments. Uh, most, some of you know Bethany because she sang the Sunday I preached on pain and suffering. And so that was Bethany. And uh, so she's been going through chemo since the beginning of this year. And then now she's following up with radiation therapy. Now, when we first found out that she had cancer, and I cried, as any dad, that's a nightmare of parents, right? Having something befall your children. And then um, when she began to lose her hair, and I told my wife, I think I'm going to lose it when Bethany starts losing her hair. Because somehow that just makes it so much more tangible and identifiable. Well, she began, her hair began to fall out. To called me up, said, Dad, my hair is starting to fall out, and I just lost it. After I hung up, I just cried. 
heavily. I wailed for my daughter. And then when she had to give her shots during chemotherapy to, to increase her white blood count, she was in great pain in her bones, and I cried. But compassion without legs is just sentimentality. And so what my wife and I did was uh, we would take turns going to my daughter's house and we would stay overnight and we would help her through the day. And we just took turns. Our whole week was kind of occupied with that. I didn't see my, we didn't see each other for like a week at a time because we would cross on, as we were going to, on the freeway to Huntington Beach and we live in San Gabriel. You know, um, my wife and I are part of the online Desperately Seeking God prayer ministry. And that's our fellowship group. That's our prayer group. And uh, we, they've been praying for Bethany. For a, so This is sort of a sidebar. They've been praying for Bethany. And then one particular man, Paul Sperling, who's sitting here this morning uh, with Regina, uh, Paul told me a week ago, just over a week ago, that he's still praying for Bethany. He's been praying for Bethany since the beginning of this journey. And we told him that, you know, we really like her to go to Mount Hermon camp. And that's the camp that Gary, Pastor Gary, is speaking at next week. And he said, he started praying for that. Then two weeks ago, he said, I'm, you know, I'm still praying for Bethany that she can go to Mount Hermon. I didn't have the heart to tell him that there's no way she can get to Mount Hermon because that's when her radiation therapy is going to be going. You know, it's called six weeks, five days a week for radiation therapy. So, and that's right. Mount Hermon is right in the middle of it. So there's no way she could go. I, I, I didn't want to tell Paul. You know, I, don't th I think that's impossible, Paul. I just said, thank you. And he said, I'm going to keep praying. I kept thinking, oh, I hope this isn't a futile prayer for Paul. Well, Bethany came down with COVID, all right, which is you know, our worst fear, but she got through it okay. But as a result of that, they had to postpone her radiation therapy, which means she can go to Mount Hermon. Yeah. Yeah, so, Paul, thank you, Paul. Keep praying, because there's one minor obstacle, but keep praying. You really should. If you have time on Tuesday nights, you should pop into the Desperately Seeking God prayer ministry, either here in person or online. Just go to the website. Some remarkable things happen because people are praying. Remarkable. We've heard stories of healing. We've heard stories like I just told, where God does things that you don't think is possible or you don't think is probable. So consider joining us on on Tuesday nights. So what does a compassionate father look like? A compassionate father places worth before work. A compassionate father places relationships before results. A compassionate father places thoughtfulness before thoroughness. A compassionate father places passion before performance. A compassionate father places understanding before umbrage or ultimatums. A compassionate father places love before logic and laurels. And finally, a compassionate father places winsomeness before winning. That's what a compassionate father looks like. Ken Boa of Reflection Ministries wrote this, our calling and purpose as followers of Christ is to love God completely, to love self correctly, and to love others compassionately. See, that's for all believers. But for this morning's message, dads were called to be compassionate with our children. There's this basketball team in Gainesville, Texas. And whenever they go play basketball, the stands on their side, 
they're empty. Empty bleachers. Almost every game that they play, no fans. The reason being, they're the basketball team of a juvenile correction facility of juveniles who committed a felony. So if they're on good behavior, the team gets to travel. They have no home games. The team travels to play. So they travel to play at a school called Vanguard College Preparatory School. It's a Christian school. So two of the boys on the Vanguard team got an idea. This was the idea. Let's recruit some of our fans to go sit on the other side and root for Gainesville. So when the Gainesville team shows up, there are fans on their side of the gym. Not only that, but they appointed half the cheerleaders to go over there and lead cheers on that side. Plus, the school made posters for the boys. You know how they hang them on the walls before games? And during the game, for the first time, Gainesville, the boys from Gainesville, had people cheering for them. Then a funny thing happened in the second half. As people got into the game and people were cheering for Gainesville, both sides began cheering for Gainesville and not for Vanguard. <laughs> One of the Gainesville players said, when I'm an old man, I'll still be thinking about this. Compassion in action. Compassion with legs. You know, love is really compassion with legs. When you do something with the feelings of compassion you have for another. This is how Steve Hartman, a journalist, wrote about this game. We all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyway. And for that, the Gainesville players can't thank those boys enough. Compassion in action. You know, God the Father was so moved by our condition, our imprisonment in sin, that he did something about it. He sent his only begotten son to come to earth for one express purpose, to die for our sins. That's God the Father's compassion in action for each one of us. And as a result, we can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life because our Father in heaven is compassionate and His Son went along with it. So we are called to follow in the footsteps of our Heavenly Father. Incredible footsteps. Secondly, God the Father is consistent. God the Father is consistent. James 1.17 says this, Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God doesn't change. He is consistent. Malachi 3.6. Now Malachi was the prophet that spoke on behalf of God before the 400-year intertestament period where God went silent. Now this is amongst the last thing God tells the people of Israel. For I, the Lord, do not change. I think he said that because he was going to go quiet for 400 years. And he told them just before he went quiet, I, the Lord, do not change. This is called the immutability of God. The immu immutability of God. It's, it's God is unvarying, reliable, constant, and perpetual. God never adds or subtracts from his character or emotions. They are constant and unmoving. We should be forever grateful that God is immutable as this provides an assurance of his love and mercy toward us. God does not change. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday 
and today, yes, and forever. Forever. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit does not change. Doesn't have to change. They're perfect. New Hampshire resident Jane O'Connor said, I grew up thinking that someone was watching over me on a daily basis, this New Hampshire resident. She was talking about the old man of the mountain, which was a 40-foot-tall outcropping from a granite cliff that overlooked the area. So people who lived in that area could see this old man of the mountain. 200 years ago, Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote a famous story about it, The Great Stone Face. It's famous. You may not know about it, but it was just famous. The New Hampshire license plate features the old man of the mountain. I think the quarter it has, his, has him imprinted on it. The state emblem is the old man of the mountain. This fixture in New Hampshire that people relied on in terms of seeing it, and it gave them great comfort. This is New Hampshire. Then on May 1st or May 2nd of 2003, there was a heavy fog in the area. When the fog lifted, the old man of the mountain was gone. It broke apart from the cliff and it slid down into the valley. It was no longer there. He was no longer there. It created emotional havoc in the lives of the people who viewed him every day. Because that which was consistent in their life, they knew every day. They'd wake up and they could see the old man of the mountain was no longer there. The rock was gone. Beloved, we worship a rock that will never disappear, that will never break off and fall into a valley. We worship Jesus, the rock of ages, who's part of the triune God. Our Father, our Son, and our Holy Spirit is constant. He's consistent. He's immutable. Doesn't change, doesn't need to change. God's consistency makes him dependable. As fathers, are you dependable? Dad, are you dependable? Can your children count on you to be there for them, especially in times of suffering and trial? One of my other grandsons is going through a, uh, an issue, a physical issue right now. His dad is there. All right, his dad will do whatever is necessary to help his son. He's there, consistently there. Do you bring stability to your family? And those of you in general, as a person, are you dependable? Can people count on you? Let me give you a parenting tip, a hint. As a parent, as your children are growing up, or those of you who still have kids at home, make sure your yeses are yes and your noes are no. The Bible, Jesus teaches us, you don't have to swear an oath or a vow. Just make your yes, yes, and your no, no. Children need to know that when dad says yes, it's a yes. Or when dad says no, it's a no. And he doesn't vacillate a lot. Sometimes you have to change your yes to a no. But it doesn't happen that often. Why? Because you've thought it through before you said yes, before you said no. When I took my grandchild to Disneyland, I told her, if you don't obey grandpa, we're going home. We got there. First 10 minutes, she didn't obey me. We went home. <laughs> Why? I didn't want to go home. Why? Because I told her that's what I would do. And my yes needs to be yes, and my no needs to be no. And if your yes isn't a yes and your no is not a no, 
your kids will end up not respecting you as much as they should. Um, I digress. I digress on these subjects. <laughs> so God the Father is compassionate. God the Father is consistent. Thirdly, God the Father is close. He's intimate with us. He's close. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's no way he can save those who are crushed in spirit unless he's near or close. Acts 17, 27, And they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. When we feel far from God, guess who moved away? Not God. He's close to us. God desires us to be intimate with him. See, a dad can be present, but not available. Sometimes for men, closeness means physical proximity. Hey, I'm in the room. But closest means your kids can talk to you. Closest means you listen to them before rendering an opinion. Seek first to understand before being understood. Closest means you know what's going on with your children. Fathers are supposed to be close to their children as God the Father is with us and we are following in his footsteps. How can you begin to develop this closest with your preschooler? I'm only going to take one group, preschoolers, right? You can do this with every stage of life for your children. Preschooler traits, physical, physical learning about self through activity, testing limits. Timid about new things, fearful, that's a preschooler. Just learning to communicate, symbolic in thinking. Just beginning to understand sexuality and its differences, male and female. Mommy and daddy are God. They really don't think you can make a mistake. Not that they get to be teenagers and then they tell you your mistakes all the time. <laughs> Dad's best response, active, hands-on play. Build simple things, roughhouse. Take the lead in exploring. Remembering that adults' everyday world is new to the child. Recognizing legitimacy of fear. Help child cope. Walk with child in scary circumstances. Three, talk, read aloud, and simply make sounds and noises in play. Play symbolically. Waste time. Play act. Give, give play to imagination. Kids love made-up stories. I would read stories out of a book and out of the Bible to my kids when they were growing up. But the story they enjoyed the most were the ones I made up. I made up this magical kingdom filled with dragons and princes, and I would tell stories, and they were the principal characters, all princesses, because I didn't have any boys. <laughs> I don't know how to tell stories to boys, you know. Probably filled with kung fu and martial arts, I don't know. Model respect for both sexes. Model a just, loving God. And that's what a dad can do for a preschooler. Christian family therapist John Trent shared two letters given to him by a third grade teacher. And these letters were part of an assignment given to the students. Here's the first letter. Dear Dad, I love it when you take me on dates. I like it when you play baseball with me, miniature golf with me, and watch movies with me. I really appreciate it. it took me a while to figure out what that word was. <laughs> Boys, teachers are phenomenal, aren't they? Yeah, wow. Well. I like it when you tell jokes to me. I like it when you hug me and kiss me. Daddy, I love you. Now the teacher said that just four seats away was another little girl. 
And this is what her letter said. Dear Daddy, I love you so much. When are you going to come see me again? I miss you very much. I love it when you take me to the pool. When am I going to get to spend the night at your house? Have you ever seen my house before? I want to see what your house looks like. Do you? When am I going to get to see you again? I love you, Daddy. That's sad. One letter is from a child whose father knows what it means to be close. The second child's letter is from a child whose father, for whatever reason, chose not to be there. You know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the root word for lonely, the root word for the word lonely, 40 times in, that, in the Old Testament is translated as fatherless. Lonely means fatherless, or fatherless means you're lonely. I think in America, actually I think across the world probably, most people have a father yearning or a father loss, and some have a father wound. I love teaching on this subject because I went on a journey. Right? My dad was a good dad, but I really didn't know him. He wasn't very close. And when your dad isn't real close, you feel a little bit fatherless. So dads, get close to your kids so they don't have that sense of loneliness that somehow is intrinsic in not having a good relation or close relationship with your children. Remember, the word lonely is often translated fatherless in the Old Testament. So God the Father is compassionate, consistent, close. God the Father is also charitable. That's an old-fashioned word for generous. God the Father is charitable. Matthew 7, 11 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? God the Father is generous. He gives good gifts See, and Jesus is comparing the ability of earthly dads giving to their children with their heavenly father and how much more the heavenly father can do and does. And we are to follow in the footsteps of our heavenly father. And his greatest act of generosity was what? Sending Jesus to die for us. See, fathers who model themselves after God the father are generous with their children and to others. And that's what they demonstrate. I hope that's what Dave was demonstrating by putting that credit card in his son's hands. Go buy something for someone else. There's a difference between being generous and spoiling your children. Generosity gives to meet needs in a generous fashion, in abundance, and grows appreciation and results in gratitude. Spoiling gives to meet wants and grows the appetite and results in greed. Big difference between the two. One time I was teaching on parenting, and a mom and dad came up to me and said, you know, you know, we only give what our kids absolutely need, nothing more, ever. So I sort of challenged them. I said, you know, why don't you do this next week? Get something for your kids that they don't need. Not really. I mean, just, give them, just splurge on your children. Because what may be developing in your child or your children is a spirit of scarcity rather than a spirit of abundance and generosity. A staff member of mine came up to me as I was teaching afterwards and said, you know, 
I think I'm raising my kids with a spirit of scarcity. And I, I, I never want to give them. I'm always looking for reasons why not to do things for them when it comes to ma- the material. Then he told me, so I, I, we talked and we had a prayer session, and, and he told me a story, the cold hamburger story, the cold hamburger story. He said, you know, every once in a while, our family would go out and we'd go to a hamburger joint and we'd buy a hamburger. But always get the simplest hamburger we can, just two pieces of bread and a piece of meat. We get it, then we take it home. We have to wait till we got home. Open it up. My mom would put mayo on it, ketchup, tomatoes, whatever, at home because they didn't want to spend the money at the, at the hamburger joint. And so we always ate cold hamburgers. And he developed a spirit of scarcity with his family. And so we prayed, and the Lord healed him of it. And he became a generous man with his children. What are you developing in your children? A spirit of generosity or a spirit of scarcity? South Bay Community Church is a generous church. Amen? Amen, Amen, right? You know why South Bay Community Church is a generous church? Because our spiritual father is a generous man and has taught the church to be generous. Who am I referring to? Pastor Gary, the founder of this church. Generous man. And one of the things he inculcated into the DNA of SBCC is the spirit of generosity. You men are going to get a, a little package, right? Tackle box. Uh, Cheryl really represents it. His wife really represents the spirit of generosity on these kind of days. And they get a little tackle box that's got some stuff. I got one already. I'm going to get one again this service. <laughs> and then I'm going to get a third one next service. And so I'm going to have three. But you know where her generosity really is apparent? And the amount of time she and her team spends on putting that thing together. I looked at that thing. Guys, if it were me, you would have gotten in a Ziploc baggie. (laughs) Really, you would have. The investment of time on that tackle box, take a look at it. Incredible. And that's the spirit of generosity that prevails and pervades here at South Bay Community Church. And we should adopt that, and we should be generous. And thank you for being generous Sunday after Sunday. It allows the church to be generous. So Winston Churchill wrote this. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Isn't that true? That's actually a biblical statement to the words of Sir Winston Churchill. Fathers need to make a life by practicing generosity, walking in the footsteps of their heavenly father. Remember, generous people are normally the happiest people. Think of the most generous person you know. Aren't they happy? Think of a person that is not generous. Are they a happy person? The word miserable comes from the word miser, somebody who is scarce in the way they think and in the way they act. And they're generally miserable people. So God the Father is compassionate, consistent, close, charitable, And finally, God the Father is committed, committed. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Being faithful means you are committed, even if the other person is faithless. 
John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, that is generosity to the max. Here's an insight for living. Total commitment always leads to self-sacrifice. You know, parents, when they have a child, they are, Dave is totally committed to a son. You can tell that, right? And the first thing that happens to a parent is they become self-sacrificial. Baby eats before mommy and daddy eat. Sacrifice. Get up in the middle of the night to feed and to change. Self-sacrifice because of total commitment. Here's the three-part definition of commitment from the National Center for Fathering. Claiming your children as your own, just as God the Father has claimed us. Concluding to act as your child's father. I mean, being a dad and acting like a dad are two different things. Carrying out your commitment daily. That's according to the National Center for Fathering. Not even a Christian organization, I don't believe. See, dads who are committed to their children lead a self-sacrificial life. They go to a piano recital rather than go play golf. They play Legos with their children rather than taking an afternoon nap. They stay up late with their child to help them with their homework. Remember those days, those of you who have children who are grown? Sometimes you're really tired and they need help with their homework. Sacrifice. Ronald Reagan, in his first inaugural address, quoted a man named Martin Treptow, who left his job as a, as a barber in a small town to join the war in 1917. He joined the famed Rainbow Division in France. He was killed while taking a message from one battalion to another battalion. With his body, they found a diary. On the insert of the diary, this is what he had wrote, written. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure, I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. That should be the motto of dads. Now you're raising together, hopefully, with with your wife, the mother of your children. But you act as though you're in this battle by yourself and you want to win this particular battle and eventual war. And you know what the good news is? Jesus is there to be with you. Jesus is there to help you to walk in the footsteps of your heavenly father. So God the Father is compassionate, consistent, close, charitable, and committed. All attributes of our heavenly Father whose footsteps we want to walk. A man, I don't know if he's a believer, I don't think he is, exemplified all these. This is called common grace, where God allows a person who doesn't know him to experience and to to enjoy the things that belong to God. Common grace. His name is Dick Hoyt. His son was born with cerebral palsy, and Dick decided to do something for his son. He formed a father-son athlete special team and began entering into Ironman competitions. He had to be compassionate, consistent, close, charitable, and committed. And so he and his son ran Ironmans, and this is what it looked like. It will be like when I walk 
by your side I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory What will my heart feel Will I dance for you, Jesus Or in all of you be still Will I stand in your presence Or to my knees will I fall Will I sing hallelujah Will I be able to speak at all I can only imagine I can only imagine I can only imagine When that day comes And I find myself Standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I would do Is forever Forever worship you I can only imagine, yeah. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine, yeah. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance? Imagine that. Amen. I watched this uh, clip like three times in preparation for the message, and I cried all three times because of the incredible commitment Dick Hoyt had for his son through the common grace given to him by God. 
But how much more God the Father loves us. I think he desires every dad to follow in his footsteps because he understands what it means to have the love of the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. God loves you. God the Father loves each and every one of you. He loves us all. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. You may be sitting here as a dad invited by your family to come to church with them. Do you realize how much God the Father loves you? He sent his son to die for you. And if you know anything of the gospel message of Jesus, you know Jesus was God's son. He came on earth for one express purpose, to die for our sins. So we can be forgiven of our sins and come into the presence of a holy God for all eternity. With sin, we can't do that because he's holy. He's pure holiness. And what it requires of you is simply by faith saying, I believe. I believe Jesus is God's son. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose on the third day. I know I'm a sinner. I, may, I have made a whole bunch of mistakes in the course of my life. And I wanted my slate to be cleaned, be swept clean by Jesus. It can happen this morning if you just ask Jesus to become your Savior and Lord. So I'd like to invite you, whether you be in the sanctuary here, outside, or at home, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, would you do so this morning and begin a life of eternity? Let's pray. Let's all pray, and if you know the Lord, pray for those who may not. Pray that they will come to faith this morning. And for those of you who have never asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me, making it your own. The Lord will hear it, and the Bible guarantees that the Lord will answer it. This is the prayer to repeat, making it your own. Dear Jesus, I believe you are God's son, that you died on a cross, that you rose from the grave. I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me. And I accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And I commit myself to following him all the days of my life. Now, would you close off that prayer with an amen? And with all heads bowed and eyes closed with exception of our pastors here, if you prayed that prayer with me, even though it's dark, would you please raise your hand as a sign of your commitment? And I'll take that raised hand and follow up on it. I could see four, five, six. Praise Jesus. Take that raised hand and let somebody know that you made a commitment to Jesus and Jesus became committed to you this day. And as you leave the sanctuary, to the, just walk immediately to the left and there's a, there's a table there that you can go to. They'll give you materials that'll help you with your new walk in Christ. They'll get your name so that we as a church family can support you in this new wonderful spiritual adventure and enterprise. May God bless you in it. Amen and amen.